Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Comic Book Day, and welcome to this week's edition of Panel Riot. I am thrilled to have you on this week's episode because this is a big one. Episode 10. We made it. We made it over the hump. It has been a blast so far. I am really glad to be here, and I'm glad that you're here with me. So, intern Stan, what do you got for us? Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all gets a place. He's like and fights with recovery. A face in armor. Stan, you knocked it out of the park with that one, my friend. Uh, excellent work. Folks, we are going to get into it. Stan did not pick that theme song on accident. He picked it because the theme of this week's episode is, you guessed it, Iron Man. The film. The 2008 film. I watched it, and we are going to talk about it. But before we get into that, I want to take care of a little business. As I said, uh, this is the 10th episode of Panel Riot, and I am thrilled. I am so thrilled, as a matter of fact, you might notice in your podcast feeds uh, a little bit of bonus content. Uh, it's another little bit of uh, audio strangeness that I put together that I, uh, I really hope you will enjoy. So uh, check that out. If it's not in your podcast feed, head on over to panelriot.com, and uh, I promise I'll make it available for download. You can listen to it all you like. So let's get into it. Iron Man, Iron Man, one of the best Marvel movies of all time, holds up even uh, in comparison to the more recent films. Um, 2008. 2008, Marvel Studios was just a gleam in Hollywood's eye. Sure, they were associated with a couple other films that had come out by then. Um, You know, the X-Men films and the Spider-Man films that Sam Raimi put out. But uh, this one was all them. This was the first one that was all them. And, uh... It's... uh, (laughs) I don't want to say they put all their eggs in one basket, but uh, they put enough eggs in the basket to make it a good-looking basket. Does that make sense? Anyway. um, So, they gave it to a director with an iffy track record, uh, probably assuming they would have a cult hit on their hands, um, as this director had had before with Swingers and a few other films and everything like that. That director is, of course, Jon Favreau, who did an excellent job with this film. Um, they cast a burnout actor who the majority of Hollywood had completely written off, Robert Downey Jr., um, and he had nothing to lose, which I think really comes across in this film because he just knocked it out of the park. Um, what they ended up with was one of the best superhero movies of all time and the start of a epic and I, that's a word I hate to use, but I'm using it now because it is an actual apt description, an epic film dynasty. Now, um, the film, uh, we're, we're going to dive right in here. Uh, I have a number of notes, so uh, I don't know, watch the movie with me, who cares. Um, the film starts with a little bit of humor and then immediately turns dark, something that was fairly uncommon for comic book movies at the time. X-Men had darker moments, Spider-Man was a little more serious, but this was something else altogether. Before we even see the title card, before we even see the words Iron Man, um, we see our main character blown up, kidnapped, and supposedly held for ransom. It's serious shit. Um, then we cut to the uh, where he, the award ceremony, which also kind of serves to fill in us quickly about Tony's backstory, which I love. I'm glad they didn't 
it's 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 a great take on the origin story and seeing his backstory through magazine covers and newspaper clippings was a fantastic choice uh it's worth mentioning now that i absolutely love the stark industries logo i want to give props to whoever did that if you're out there well done i'm sure you're listening this is panel riot after all um jeff bridges Jeff Bridges is world-class in any role, but his work here as Obadiah Stane is absolutely fantastic. He's great at the corporate schmoozing, um, but with the, that ruthless, scary edge that is you know, revealed over the course of the film. In this scene, uh, Tony is being presented with the Aperture Award. Is somebody a Portal fan? I don't know. Really, I don't know. Uh, when the game came out versus when the movie came out. Um, so check the dates. I'm too busy. Um... There is an artist who works for Marvel occasionally. I don't know what he's working on right now. Um, but his name is Greg Land. And he draws Emma Frost to look 100% like Leslie Bibb, who plays Christine Everhart, the, um, the reporter from this movie. Uh, I just think that's fascinating. It has nothing to do with the movie. Um, so uh, throughout the movie, uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, speaks with a very rapid-fire dialogue kind of delivery. Um, and I feel like that was a deliberate choice by him, which is an excellent one. It, it shows that, you know, Tony Stark's mind is always working and it's overflowing and his mouth has to move quick enough to keep up with his uh, with his brain. Anyway, so uh, he sleeps with the reporter and there's a scene there where uh, they're making out on the bed and they roll off and you hear Tony laughing. And with the music and the... the la- I, I, I've, I know I've seen it in other movies before. I think it's a reference to James Bond. I don't know. Um, but if you know, let us know at uh, panelriot at gmail.com. Um, Paul Bettany is Jarvis. We're introduced to him uh, at this point, and he is fantastic. It's, um, it, it's a great departure from the comics Jarvis, who's a human, who's a butler. Um, and I'm, and well, Actually, from what I've read, they did this to differentiate from Alfred, they didn't want comparisons with Alfred, which makes sense. It's fine, and it it's it's a great addition. It, you know, with his computer system having a, a human interface, it, it's it's great. And and Paul Bettany does uh, an excellent job. He's always been an actor I've greatly enjoyed, and I can't wait to see him in uh, uh, Avengers Two as the Vision. I think he's going to do uh, do great work. So, Pepper. Pepper Potts, one of the main characters of the movie, she's introduced here. Uh, I will admit up front, Gwyneth Paltrow has a terrible reputation. I haven't really investigated it myself. All I know is that she gets bad-mouthed a lot. It's fine. It's not for me to judge. Um, But she absolutely kills it in these movies. Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, without exception, she does great work. Robert Downey Jr., I need his diet secrets. Okay. He looks older in this movie than he does in the Avengers, and then he does in Iron Man 3. I am 30 years old. Robert Downey Jr. looks younger than me in Iron Man 3. I don't know how he does it. I must know. Robert Downey Jr., Robert, I know you're listening. It's a big podcast, and I'm calling you out specifically, buddy. Please email me, panelride at gmail.com. Let me know your diet secrets. I must know. So, um, the garage, Iron Man's garage, it's a, it's, it's a great, great set. You've got the row of cars 
which is the hobby of a rich man child, the cooler with a shitload of drinks, way more than any man would drink, um, the incredible computer. Um, I think a lot of it is, uh, a lot of the appeal of this entire movie is wish fulfillment. You know what I mean? He's just a normal human guy who became something incredible. This also explains the appeal of Captain America and Guardians and, and actually also the lackluster performance of Thor, who was already a god from the get-go. I mean, don't get me wrong. Thor 1 and 2 were great movies, very enjoyable, um, but uh, from wh- I, I think they're generally considered kind of lagging behind Cap and Iron Man, especially Iron Man 1 and Cap 2. So, uh, one, of the <laughs> one of the cars I noticed was uh, an Audi R8, because uh, someone likes James Bond movies. Whether that other scene was a reference to James Bond or not, uh, someone's a fan on set. Um, speaking of fans, or not really much of fans, Terrence Howard. I don't really like Terrence Howard. Um, I really like Don Cheadle's Rhodey a lot more. I think he does a much better job with the role. Um, he seems to enjoy it. He seems to have fun with it. Uh, Terrence Howard just seems angry about everything. There's no joy. There's no happiness there. And, um, I mean, this is... Like I said before, there's dark moments in the movie, but ultimately this is something to be enjoyed. So, They say the best weapon is the one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon that you only have to fire once. That's how Dad did it, that's how America does it, and it's worked out pretty well so far. I present to you the newest in Stark Industries Freedom Line. Find an excuse to let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee the bad guys won't even want to come out of their caves. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, the Jericho. And with that, everyone was on board. And he holdouts completely convinced when the bombs went off and he stumbled forward a little. Great stuff. Great stuff by Robert Downey Jr. And uh, great stuff by the special effects team. Just uh, world class. Um, and here's here's... This could be a you can take this as a compliment to the special effects team. I don't know if that was practical effects blowing everything forward. It had to be. It had to be. It had to be a combination of both CG and practical effects. But you can't tell, and that I, I mean that is a huge compliment to the special effects team. Anyway, we go from that to Tony on top of the world. He's just impressed his you know father figure Obadiah Stane. Um, and sold a you know huge thing to the army, the military. His, he's he's like I said on top of the world. And then suddenly, he's waking up wrapped in rags in a filthy, freezing cave. It's the desert. It's also freezing. You can see plumes of his breath, which is a just a wonderful small detail. Um, and he's yanking a breathing tube out of his nose. He's hooked up to a car battery. And the contrast between this moment and the previous moment is magnificent. This movie does such great things with contrast. Um, anyway, we'll get we'll get into that later. Uh, and here we meet Jensen. Jensen is such a hinge for this movie. He's, uh, he's the inspiration for Tony. Um, and it's probably worth noting that Tony has a crazy hangover at this point as well. He's been drinking since we've seen him, except for the one part where he was working on the car. Um, and then he got shrapnel in his chest, and then he got beat up and held for, made you know, oh, we got to go do a ransom video. And uh, then he got hooked up to a car battery. So he's got to be crazy hungover. Um, but Jensen is there to help him because I, 
I've got to say, whatever he is cooking in that weird pot over the fire looks delicious. It's like a nice meaty chili. And I'm not going to question where the meat came from or where the beans came from or any of that. It looks delicious. And I want to believe that Jensen can work miracles. Here's something else about Tony's mind state to consider that uh, <laughs> everything that's happening is so much more impressive. So, uh, good morning, Tony. We put an electromagnet in your chest. We attached it to a car battery. We had to cut a hole in your chest that goes near your heart so the magnet can hold a little piece of metal away from your heart. We have no painkillers. This is the desert, and we're in a cave. Well done on not constantly screaming. I would also like to point out that Jensen has a great suit. That is a well-tailored suit. I'd also like to point out that Jensen is from Golmira, which is a town that comes back later. I think that's uh, that's very interesting. I also I, I noticed something else uh, during this weird scene here. They're drowning him. There's scenes of them drowning him, and uh, there's flashes of all these other scenes. You hear Pepper shouting Tony, like she does in the end of the movie, actually. There's a shot of a finished arc reactor. He has the idea for the arc reactor to put in his chest while they were drowning him. It's very subtle if you go back and watch it in there. Or if you go back and watch it, it is there, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, this is a very important week for you then, isn't it? Jensen reminding Tony that if this is, you know, the last few days of your life, you've got to make it count. So... Uh, in my notes here, I go off on a little tangent. It isn't just the visuals that make an amazing movie. For something to explode on the level that this movie did, it needs a total package. It needs visuals, soundtrack, actors, a good director, and a killer script. And it's a rare thing for all these elements to come together, but this film is a great example of it. It was a bunch of truly talented people left alone to do what they do best, and they absolutely knocked it out of the park. Everybody did a great job with presumably minimal interference from Marvel. So, uh, small problem here. They're, uh, they're drawing up the blueprints for the Iron Man armor and every, everything like that. And it's a great touch because, you know, it's all these different layers. And when you lay them on top of each other, you get the picture of the Iron Man armor. But why do they have so much vellum paper in the Middle East in a cave? I mean, that stuff isn't easy to find here in a major city. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Um, there is... they From the security camera, they show this uh, the footage of Jensen putting the arc reactor in Tony's chest. It's very blurry. They don't have to get into any gory details. They keep their PG or PG-13 rating. It's PG-13 rating. Um, and it, it's, it's a great effect. Very, very clever. How was he not in constant agony? That thing is deep in his chest, as we see later. Not only did they have to cut through flesh, they, I'm sure, had to cut through bone to put it into <laughs> into his sternum. Because it's in the center. It's dead center. That is bone, my friends. Under those amazing pecs that, uh, that Iron Man has, that is bone. It's very... I mean... I'm, I'm picking nits, and I completely apologize... Uh, just, uh, just something I was curious about. Uh, we see a scene. It, Tony, Tony feels so good that they can play backgammon. They play backgammon together. I got to be honest with you, folks. I don't know what backgammon is, and at this point, I am terrified to ask because I don't think I want to know. 
what I do want to know is how this stacks up against the actual Iron Man origin. I've read, I haven't read the first few Iron Man comics. I don't know his origin. I know it's similar to this. I know that wars were involved, whether it was, I think Vietnam was mentioned at one point, maybe World War II. I don't know. But I, I do want to go back and check that out. Maybe, maybe I'll, um, I'll do an episode about film origins versus comic book origins. Intern Stan, please take a note. Idea for a show, film origins versus comic book origins in Marvel Comics. You got it? Stan. Stan. Are you even listening? Write down the... Never mind. Just listen back to the show, and when I tell you to take notes, take notes. Um, I really can't say enough good things about the set design of this movie. Um, I mentioned the uh, the garage earlier. The cave uh, is, is really well done as well. The contrast of colors. The yellows and reds against the glowing blue of the overhead lights and the blue of the arc reactor. It's just it's really well done, really well thought out. And I uh, want, want them to know that it did not go uh, unnoticed. So... Um, we're going to take a quick break. I can't believe we're not even that f- this far into the movie, and we're um, taking a break. Uh, we are going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Please stick around. Panel Riot. In or around the Pittsburgh area? Check out Metamorphosis, Pittsburgh's only full-service organic salon, spa, and wellness studio. Haircut? Check. Manny? Check. Petty? Check. Massages, highlights, sauna, and facials? Absolutely. We even offer professional yoga classes daily. Visit us at SpaPGH.com. That's S-P-A-P-G-H.com today. Because when you feel good, you look even better. That's right, folks. Uh, SpaPGH.com, Metamorphosis, uh, one of the best best, not one of, the best spa and salon in and around the Pittsburgh area. Go in, ask for Mia, tell them Panel Riot sent you. These guys work miracles. And I am not exaggerating with that. They will make you feel like a new person. They've done it for me many, many times. Okay, right back into it. Um, Looking at this movie and thinking ahead to Iron Man 2 and 3, I'm genuinely wondering what went so wrong in 2 and what was better about 3. And I'm looking forward to those episodes so I can really dig into them and find out. F11. Control I. I enter. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to start up a uh, uh, Mark 1 Iron Man suit. Um, It's interesting to realize how much of this first bit is practical effects versus how much is CG later. The Iron Man suit aside, the majority of the first act is real-life people on real-life sets. You've got the cave, you've got Tony, you've got Jensen, um, you've got uh, the, uh, the the military scenes and everything like that. It's, it's mostly practical effects. There is a fair amount of CG, but they really, um, they don't, uh, they don't use it as a crutch as so many other movies have. Um, when Tony's escaping... Uh, and he finally gets outside of the cave, and they're shooting at him. The guy who shoots the Iron Man suit in the knee joint and kind of cripples him, it is 100% Vladimir Putin. Go back and look. I promise you, Vladimir Putin shoots Iron Man in the knee. I don't understand it. We're just going to move on with our lives. 
um, God bless, God bless physics simulators because the suit being flung up into the air and then into the sand was very, very well done. Like I said before, all the key components are there, including, and I will probably say this many, many times, a killer special effects team. So, Tony gets back to the States, and he is so affected by his time being held by the Mandarin, he changes his entire life. It's completely in line with the panic attacks after the giant battle of New York. Consistency in a character is an absolutely great thing, especially when you consider it's different writers and different directors. He goes through a traumatic event in, uh, presume, I don't know, wherever, the being held by the, the terrorists and everything like that, comes back, makes some changes. Giant Battle in New York, another traumatic event where he almost dies and meets the Hulk and all this crazy stuff, comes back and makes, again, huge changes in his life. Blows up most of the Iron Man suits, everything like that. Um, completely in line. Wonderful. Uh, the cheeseburger thing is awesome. He comes back to the States and he's like, I want an American cheeseburger, and we have to call it a press conference. But he opts for Burger King. Now, you're Tony Stark, man. At least get, like, five guys or something good. Burger King. I understand. Sponsors. Another character introduced, sort of. He's very much a tertiary uh, uh, peripheral character. Agent Coulson. Agent Coulson is in this movie. Don't ever, ever forget that Agent Coulson, Clark Gregg, was there from the beginning. He deserves his own television series. He deserved to be the thing in the Avengers that made it happen. He deserves everything he gets and more. He was there from the beginning. He's been playing the same character in every movie, and he kills it every single time. I remember being floored by the S.H.I.E.L.D. thing when they, when they explain it later on in the movie that every all the things that he says, at like it's basically an acronym for S.H.I.E.L.D. Is it an acronym? Is it initials? I don't know what the proper term is, and I apologize for that. Um, but I was blown away, and then I remember going back and seeing that he said it in the first place. I love this movie. Um, more quotes. I never got to say goodbye to my father. There's questions I would have asked him. I would have asked him how he felt about what his company did and if he was conflicted, if he ever had doubts. Maybe he was every inch of the man that we remember from the newsreels. I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to defend them and protect them. And I saw that I had become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. This, this is Robert Downey Jr. reminding us that he has always been an actor. And everything else, all the arrests, all the garbage in the meantime, is just noise. Obadiah Stane with a cigar on a Segway is the best thing I have ever seen. It is right up there with uh, Job and Arrested Development rolling around with his sword and his fanny pack. It is absolutely wonderful. And he rolls up to see Tony and uh, John Favreau, Happy Hogan, I think his name is? Yeah, why not? Uh, he was, you know, hanging out by the limo, and he was smoking too. He was smoking a cigarette. Stain was smoking a cigar. Villains are supposed to smoke. I don't think this is something that would fly in the current movies. You're not going to see anybody smoking cigarettes. In the, uh, in the more recent films. So, 
What happens next is a scene where we have two insanely ta talented actors getting to play off of each other. It's a pleasure to watch. There's a part in this scene where Stain does this thing that I think is its a very paternal thing to do where he, he asks a question, which Tony answers, but he just keeps asking the question because it's not the answer that he wanted. He's, uh, he's gently pushing for what he's trying to get out of it. Um, it it kind of hints this scene particularly and almost only hints at like this father-son relationship that these two have kind of developed after Tony's father had passed. Stain stepped in and kind of helped with Tony's development from there. Um, it's never really played up in this movie or anywhere else really. Um, it's subtle but, but you can really see it between two actors of this caliber. Um, it's such a short little scene and, and it's a lot of exposition and everything like that but it's it's really one of the best scenes in the movie. One of the best acted scenes in the movie, I should say. Um, major props to the uh, effects people who made it look like Pepper was actually reaching into Tony's chest to change out the, for the new arc reactor. It was it was a great and a very gross scene, and I actually did a little reading afterwards, and it turns out that was mostly practical effects that was like 90% practical effects she was actually reaching into a chest piece and it was it was so well done i i really thought the whole thing was cg while i was watching and trying to figure it out but it was mostly practical effects which just blows my mind even more speaking of special effects i want i want that tactical interface computer that is amazing, and I want it. I must have it in my life at some point. Uh, technology is moving in the right direction, and that is the direction it needs to move in, because I must have it. Um, so we cut to the uh, the villains, and they're, of course, not pleased and everything like that. The villain's face has burns in, on it, um, which is fine. You know, Tony Stark did fire a rocket at him or whatever. But what about the unreasonable amount of shit that fell on him? Shouldn't he have, like, some crush damage? Maybe, like, a wounded arm or a gimpy arm or something? He just got away with some facial burns. So, in reality, he shouldn't be that mad. He kind of got off easy. Um, Tony, of course, starts building the Iron Man armor based off of the design that he did in the cave, and we're introduced to the bots. The bots are more important than I think people realize to these films. Uh, yes, they're funny. Yes, they're comedic relief. But they take what would be relatively bland building scenes, Tony Stark just tinkering with things, um, and they make them both interesting and funny to watch. They're very, they're very simple scenes uh, that could be bland, but are integral to the film. And they elevate them to, honestly, what is some of the best scenes in the movie. Uh, which, you know, a lot of that credit also goes to Robert Downey Jr., because he's interacting with and joking with these robots um, in such a way to, to, to make them some of the best scenes in the movie. I can honestly tell you I've never heard a theater laugh as hard as when he was testing his boots and flew into the wall. That, combined with the uh, bot trying to extinguish him, made for the most genuine laughs I have ever heard in a theater, bar none. There's a scene uh, shortly thereafter where Obadiah comes to visit. Tony Stark is walking up into his living room. And uh, if you look close, you can see the lifts in, our, in Robert Downey Jr.'s shoes. Yes, folks, he wore lifts because he is way short. He is a short little guy. 
Um, but if you look close in all these movies, he's got lifts. Also in the Avengers, if you look, um, Pepper in the first scene, not the first scene, in the first scene that she's in, she's barefoot. She's walking around barefoot. And that was an intentional choice because Robert Downey Jr. is not a tall man. So um, it kind of leveled them out without without him having to wear crazy lifts on his shoes. Um, Stain. Stain is there to visit, and he plays the piano, and he drinks whiskey. He's clearly the villain. How did you not see this earlier? Piano, whiskey, villain. Something else that kind of bothered me here. Uh, Tony has cut a hole in his shirt. He's cut a hole in the chest of his shirt. So his arc reactor can just kind of poke out, get some air, I guess. I I couldn't help but wonder, did he design special scissors for the job? Did he do this to all of his shirts? Did he do this before he started working on the new Iron Man, on the new suit, you know, the Iron Man suit? Did he just go around, um, maybe he had Pepper do it. Pepper, this is going to sound weird, but I need you to cut holes in all of my shirts. This thing's kind of uncomfortable, I want to give it some air to heal, so just cut holes in all of my shirts, it'll be great. Um, the flight scene. We get the payoff of the flight scene where he actually flies and not into a wall. Essentially, this is a scene with Robert Downey Jr. talking to himself. We get the bots, we get the camera effects, and everything like that. Well-written, well-acted script, effects, script. It, it, it just becomes one of the most memorable scenes in the entire movie. I also want to point out that in this scene, there were lens flares all over the place. Well before J.J. Abrams made them infamous. Lots of lens flares. Go back and go back and watch them. Um, additional props to the team that worked on the Iron Man suit HUD heads-up display that floats in front of Tony's face whenever he's in the suit. It very elegantly solved the problem that Hollywood struggles with so often in so many other films. We've got to take off their masks so you can see their face. They're the star. Got to see their face. Robert Downey Jr. gets a close-up 90% of the time in these movies, thanks to this heads-up display. Um, now, he tests the suit, he flies up, he ices over, he almost crashes, so on and so forth. But I really hope that when he lands, the first thing he fixes is the fact that Jarvis crashed at a certain altitude. Yeah, the suit iced over, but Jarvis just shut down. That's a way bigger problem than being cold and covered in ice. Priorities, Tony. Incidentally, the car that uh, he fell on and crushed was a Shelby Cobra 1967. I don't have a joke for that. Um, he's presented with the thing that Pepper kept, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. I also have no joke for that. Um, he, uh, there's a qu actually a quick shout-out to Cisco. Presumably, he's talking about another one of his servers that is a Cisco server. Um, I thought that was interesting. Also, um, there's mention made of visiting other planets uh, by Jarvis, and they've got to pay that off. Seriously, in the comics, Tony Stark goes on an adventure with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I would love for him to show up in Guardians 2. Yeah, Guardians 2. It'd be great, even if just for a minute, even just for a little bit. I mean, he's got the suits for it. When he's rendering, when he's building the um, the Iron Man armor, he has like 12 uh, monitors. And I have to be honest, I have a nerd boner. I have one big monitor, but 
man, one big monitor versus 12 big monitors? Come on. I don't know what I'd do with them. Um, but I just, I, I just want it. I just want it. Um, when he mentions for Jarvis to paint the car red, the car that inspired that was the Ford Flathead Roadster 1932. And the car is the same car that he was working on before he gets captured by the terrorists. And uh, the car that they used on set belongs to John Favreau, the director. There's no, nothing funny about that. It's just a little bit of trivia. So at this point, Tony checks his unnecessarily sexy watch, and he's off in his unnecessarily sexy Audi R8 to the party. And now I have a different sort of nerd boner. And now... Stan! No. No, not you, Stan. No, Stan Lee. No, not he's not here. No, he's in the movie. This is his cameo. Don't... What have I told... I'm doing the show, man. Not you, Stan. Stan Lee, Stan. Okay? Sorry about that. Uh, so, Stan Lee shows up. Cameo in the in the movie. Always an exciting time. Um, and uh, I, he Tony runs into Coulson at this party, and I gotta say, I'm glad they let Coulson develop a personality. He doesn't have much one in this movie. Um, again, character development. Something they are great for. I don't think Robert Downey Jr. was wearing his lifts in this particular scene. At the very least, they weren't severe as um, they weren't. At, I'm sorry, they weren't as severe as they were in other scenes because him and Gwyneth Paltrow were dancing there at the very same height. Um, and again, they do have great chemistry. These two It was a great casting choice, and I'm I'm really glad it happened. At this point, Tony finds out about Gomira. He finds out about the Stark weapons there, and the entire movie changes. And with that, we're going to take another quick break. Please stay with us. Panel right. And incidentally, I'm not a wine expert. All I know about wine is that it either tastes good or it doesn't. And I also know that Petri wine always tastes good. The Petri family sees to that. The name Petri on the label is the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. And they know how to make it good because they've been making fine wine for generations. Handing down from father to son, from father to son, every secret, every skill of the winemaker's art. Yes, the Petri family took time to bring you good wine. That's why no matter what type of wine you wish, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. All right, uh, it actually looks like we might be going a little long for this episode, so uh, hope you stick along for the ride, folks. Might uh, might have to put in another commercial break. Hope you can deal with that. Um, thanks to the Petri family. Family took time getting good wine. Um, okay, at this point, the entire movie feels different. It's a lot quieter. Tony's fiddling with his uh, Iron Man gauntlet and watching the news reports on Gomira. Robert Downey Jr. plays the character a little darker and a little more serious. You already know what's going to happen, but it's still kind of surprising when Tony just decides to fly halfway across the globe and do something about the, the terrorist attacks. He was just kind of fiddling about before, testing out the suit, not really knowing what to do. 
Um, but now he knows, and it shapes the entire rest of the movie. My favorite author is Nick Hornby, and in just about all of his books, there's a specific and a very blatant turning point. Someone dies or something huge happens, and it's, uh, it, it becomes the hinge on which the entire book turns. Tony finding out about Gomira is Iron Man's hinge. And uh, it's from this point on, it's a different movie. Also, he did not cut a hole in his tank top. We have the assembly scene. The scene where the bots are putting on the armor, and it's great. It's well done. It's epic. It's inspiring. There's that word again. I hate that word, epic. Um, it's, it's FX porn. I, no, I wrote this down. It's FX porn in the absolute best way possible. The music's well done. The effects are well done, and it doesn't need any dialogue. So... We cut to Gomira, and I noticed that they are using the Jericho missiles, the things that they wanted in the first place from Tony. And uh, it's a nice touch. It's a very nice touch. Um, th- okay, so the scene of Iron Man and Gomira is great. Again, it's FX porn, and again, I mean that in the best way possible. It's the action scene that keeps the more ADD viewers interested and it establishes the Iron Man armor as a credible threat. It shows how badass it can be, and it kind of shows off what uh, what exactly Tony's been working on, right? Um, and also, you've got the, the scene against the tank. He gets shot down by the tank. Out of the air. That's going to be a hard shot. I don't know how tanks work. Um, but he uses the little, you know, tank buster missile, little pew, and blows it up, walks away. It's great. It's great. Um... You have another great action scene right after that. Iron Man versus the Air Force. A very cool scene. Now, um, it's it's interspersed with scenes of Rhodey in, I guess, a tactical operations area where they're trying to figure out what just attacked Golmira or, or, or whatever's going on. And um, he calls Tony at first, and then later on Tony calls him back, and the... The, the ringtone is the theme music that you heard earlier to the 1966 Iron Man cartoon. It's a nice little touch. And also he has him saved as the Starkster, which actually War Machine rocks with four X's. Makes a lot more sense later on in, in Iron Man 3. Um, I really enjoy the contrast between Tony joking and Pepper being completely horrified at what she's seeing. She sees the broken glass and the armor and the bullet holes and the bots and everything, and, and she doesn't understand any of it. It's a great scene. Tony's just being Tony, and she's reflecting the gravity of the situation. Next, we go back to Golmira, and we see Stain revealed as THE villain. Capital T-H-E, capital V, illain. Not just a grumpy father figure. And I gotta—I have to admit, he's way better as the latter. He's much better as Tony's grumpy father figure. He kind of hams it up a little bit as the villain. But, you know, not so much that you notice, except that, for, that I noticed and then mentioned it in a podcast. So, there goes that idea. He uses this audio paralysis device. What do you want with an Iron Man suit? Do you have any idea what you could do with an audio paralysis device, you nut job? Come on, man. Get it together. Think creatively. Um, okay. Once again, in the scene with uh, uh, Iron Man, with Tony Stark explaining things to Pepper, we see that Robert Downey Jr. was always an actor. He just he turns it up to 11, you know, two or three times in this movie and a few times in other movies, and 
I mean, he's really just on a completely different level from a lot of what is essentially kids that he's working with. I mean, Chris Evans and, and Chris Hemsworth, these are not old guys, you know. Robert Downey Jr., is he's just on a different level. Um, so Pepper goes to Stark Industries to get the files, and there's that roadster again. There's that uh, the red car. It's a screensaver all over the place. Um, and I could be wrong, but it looks like Tony runs Linux. I'm probably wrong, but who cares? Um, I can't wait for Windows 10, where you can just kind of open up a, uh, a prompt, type in translate, and it'll translate audio on the fly. That is a real solid feature. Look for it. Windows 10. Uh, Obadiah Stane shows up, and uh, i got to say his tie game is on point. His creepy factor is not, but it is uh, nonetheless there. Pepper runs into Agent Coulson on her way out, and uh, again, five stars for Clark Gregg. The character has come, you know, a far way, and he's he's got more of a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Personality. That's what it's called. I couldn't think of the word personality. Jesus. Um, yeah, whatever. He's great. Oh, where were we? Okay. Um, Jeff Bridges screams what is unfortunately his most memorable line in the entire movie. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a bunch of scraps. It's not me- it's memorable because he shouted it. It's not his best line in the movie, but it's the one that everybody remembers. Next we see him going and and essentially thinking he thinks he's killed Tony Stark. He uses that weird silver claw thing to pull the arc reactor right out of his chest, but He's gone full villain at this point, and it would have been great to see just a little flash of regret when he's killing Tony. Just a, just a hint of like the father-son thing, that they've known each other forever, that they used to be friends, that they used to work together. Missed opportunity. Uh, let's see here. Oh, okay, so Tony's crawling across the workshop floor, and he pushes away the wheelie cart! The little wheelie cart that you use to get under cars. You should have just surfed it. You should have just surfed right on over there, nabbed the old reactor, high-fived the bot, and plopped that thing in your chest. Come on. But instead, he crawls over there, and he almost dies, and he gets saved by the bot, further endearing the inanimate object to our uh, to our hearts. He's more likable than Rhodey, this bot. And all he does is go... Whatever. Uh, next up, we have Pepper Potts in the original Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, where they're investigating what Obadiah Stane is up to. And what a surprise! It's, uh, is it Warmonger or Ironmonger? I don't remember. Again, not terribly important. So, just a quick Control Shift I um, to start up Warmonger, and away we go. There is a quick reference to Rhodey as War Machine in future films which, honestly, is a great moment uh, to be a fan. It's one of the many kind of nudge, wink, nod, those kind of things that Marvel loves to put into their films. It's the kind of things that make comic fans feel welcome. They're recognizing who brought them to the dance in the first place. It's great. It's a nice touch. So, it's often been said that Marvel comic films have a third act problem. But let's be real here. These movies are action-adventure films at their heart, and they have to end with giant set pieces, elaborate fight scenes, and big, huge, crazy action. 
The rest of the movie is for character development. The rest of the movie is to make you care about the people that are fighting in the end. These scenes are meant for sitting back and enjoying. Which I do. I don't have a lot of notes about this final scene. I want to say that, once again, there are a million compliments to the special effects team here. Because they really, really get to shine in these fight scenes. And I keep saying this. And I'm sorry that I keep saying this. But they knock it out of the park. And that's it. They do the wrap-up. They do a shot from Ghostbusters 2 where the thing shoots into the air. Ghostbusters 1. Is it 1? 2? Couldn't matter less. They shoot the thing up into the air, and then you have the wrap-up scene with the press conference and everything like that. And S.H.I.E.L.D. always from S.H.I.E.L.D. The holy shit moment happens. I am Iron Man. Thus ends one of the finest films in recent memory, and begins the start of one of the most profitable film studios in the past 40 years. With few exceptions, Marvel Films has been absolutely bulletproof. As you well know, the film exploded, going on to make $585.1 million globally. I think that's globally. I'm not terribly sure. And it only had a budget of $140 million. That's incredible. Uh, It restarted Robert Downey Jr.'s career and placed Marvel Studios high on the list of major film contenders for years to come. It has been thrilling as a comic book fan and as a film fan to see their rise in popularity, and I can't wait to see what they do next. Today, this very day that I was recording this, uh, it has been full of rumors about Iron Man 4, Avengers 3, and even Spider-Man getting to finally appear in a fully Marvel-produced film. Sony currently owns Spider-Man, and they're not doing a great job with him. Soak it in, my friends. It is an absolutely amazing time to be a comic book fan. And it started here. Well, that's it. We just went a little bit over. Just just a touch. Just a touch. Um, I, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, if you want more Panel Riot, you can join us on the internet at panelriot.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Panel Riot. You can ear-read our word bubbles on Stitcher Smart Radio. And, of course, the big one, iTunes, which goes out to all kinds of places. You can listen to us on Downcast. Downcast is an amazing podcasting app that I can't recommend highly enough. They're not paying me to say that, but oh boy, I wish they would. Folks, I really want to know what you think of the show. Do you enjoy what's going on? Do you like Intern Stan? Do you want to give him a little guff? You know, um, Send us an email. Panelriot at gmail.com we can read your emails on the air, or we cannot read your emails on the air. If you want it read on the air, please mark okay to read, just like when you're writing into your favorite comic books. Talk to me. Tell me what you're reading. Tell me what I should read. I am open to recommendations. Happy to hear from you. Thanks for listening, true believers. Until next week, when hopefully I will have thought up a catchphrase. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com. Oh, one more thing. Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Bye.
perfect.